Well, the problem with speaking at this time in this conference is that I'm following Matt Davenport, <laughs> Kevin Davenport, and the Hyatts. <laughs> so not only has all my thunder been stolen, but all my scriptures <laughs> have been used. But don't worry, I've called for backup. <laughs> the only upside is that I get to speak before Brian Emmett. Yeah. Uh, and I think you all know what that means. So that uh, otherwise I would just be saying... Uh, I'm going to change the name of the conference from Nothing Wasted to Nothing Left. Nothing Left, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I would just get up and say uh, what they said and let's close in prayer. Uh, I really want to say that I'm, I'm coming to you in much weakness uh, at this time, and it's, it's a good thing, because uh, we know that when we're weak, that's when his strength can work through us. I hope that that will be the case today. Um, as I've reflected on the theme over these months, nothing wasted, it's, uh, what's come to me over and over again is the reality that Jesus is a redeemer. Always has been. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is now and always will be the lamb on the throne. Think of that. From even before the beginning to the end. He's a redeemer. Redemption is about buying back that which has been stolen. That which is appears to be wasted. Uh, of course, it's our lives that he has bought back. But really, in the end, he's bought back everything. He's redeemed everything. What's it say in Revelations? Behold, I make all things new. They're all redeemed. Uh, creation itself, which is groaning this present time, is also redeemed. He wastes nothing in the process. Uh, and the process is always the present. The journey is the destination. Uh, whether we're flying high in the spirit or have been brought low by our sins or the sins of others, um, we dare not look anywhere else but to him. And the temptation is to look elsewhere, as Donna shared so eloquently, so powerfully today, to look at actions and reactions uh, in our lives, our own sin, the sin of others, instead of looking to him and saying, what are you doing, Lord? What do you want me to learn from this? How do you want me to change? Uh, my hope is in you. To say, like Chris said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Especially, you know, when we're dealing with our own sin nature. And isn't it the reality, as Donna said, that when sins come at us, uh, it's an opportunity to look at our own sin nature, where we have fallen short uh, the conviction of 
our need for redemption in the present uh, is very real in those times. Thee and thee only I worship and adore. Now, when Jesus taught the disciples and walked with them for three years, he often turned to nature uh, to teach. And he would say things like, consider the birds of the air, Matthew 6. How many of you find yourselves returning to the Sermon on the Mount over and over again? I don't know if it's just the stage of life, you know, come to this point, but I, I need a regular infusion of the Sermon on the Mount uh, because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically opens up who God is, who the Father is, what his nature is, and what he's like, and what we can be like if we know him, and if we continually return to him uh, in our thoughts, in our minds, in our deeds, in our hearts. So in Matthew 6, he says, Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. See what he's doing there? Are you not worth more than they? Now when Jesus says consider, he doesn't mean just casually observe. He's a good Jewish rabbi. And so he's saying, look at things the way I have looked at them. I have considered deeply uh, what this means about the Father. I don't think his disciples got that. Obviously, they didn't get that uh, because at the very end, they were not really having considered a lot of that very much. But the hope that he had and the faith that he had that they would get it and that it would change them in such a way that it would change their view of the Father. Uh, that changes everything. Consider the lilies of the field. They do not toil or spin, but are clothed more beautifully than Solomon and all his glory. Consider that. Consider that if God clothes them, the Father has such joy in everything and everyone he's created that uh, it speaks of what he's really like. That he looks past all the stuff right into who he's made us to be. And if we consider those things about his nature, it will change how we see him and how we see ourselves and everything else. And then nothing is wasted. Jesus goes on, says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first, continually seek first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day 
has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow trouble. Um, Now let's consider, let's bring this up to date. Not that nature isn't up to date, it's all around us. But a lot of us live in urban settings and we don't uh, really contemplate nature as we should. You know, there was just a study done that uh, people who regularly get out into nature, their blood pressure comes down, their, their health improves just by taking a walk. Nature. Consider what that means. So, consider our physical nature. I was reading an article. See, I've gone now. It's trying to impress my daughter and the young people. I've gone from analog to digital, right, right in front of you. <laughs> Old school to new school, if it works. We'll try it. Okay. It's an article in Scientific American. You remember the term junk DNA? Somebody, somebody. Spencer, you got you've heard of that. Um, in the 1970s, when biologists first glimpsed the landscape of human genes, they saw that the small pieces of DNA that coded for proteins seemed to float like bits of wood in a sea of genetic gibberish. What on earth were those billions of other letters of DNA there for? No less a molecular luminary than Francis Crick, co-discoverer of DNA's double helical structure, suspected it was little more than junk. The phrase junk DNA has haunted human genetics ever since. And now it's not working. Help! Okay, I'll do it from memory. Well, you, you see if you can do something. It won't. Now, why would that work for him and not me? Anyway, they, the early research, they were saying that 97% of the DNA was of no use. Only 3% was creating proteins and as far as they knew, it was just redundancy. But as the genome has been mapped in 2000, 2001, and then they've done research on all this junk DNA, they've discovered that it's all regulating our health. It's a series of switches, biological obviously, but that are regulating our health and well-being all the time. And now they're discovering that their idea that the DNA protein creating 3% that they've been looking for to heal genetic diseases uh, with gene therapy, actually where they need to be looking is in this portion, 
And there's some exciting things that they're going to see coming. Crohn's disease, other T-cell disease, immune uh, diseases, autoimmune diseases that they may find some real cures for in all this junk DNA. Consider nature. Consider how complex, how complete, how God wastes nothing. No redundancies. It's all to be used for us, for our good. That's the kind of God he is. Remember the, uh, the t-shirt about that time? It was, God don't make no junk. Not real good grammar, but it's a true statement. Uh, God don't make no junk. I think it was when that phrase came about, junk DNA. That, that was a response. That was a faith response. We didn't have the science for it. But indeed, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, so we come back to Jesus. Saying that if we forget, basically what Jesus is saying is, who the Father really is, what he is really like, we descend into anxiety, fear, and sin. Anxiety, fear, and sin. But if we continually consider all that he has made, including us, it points us to a God who's Loving, faithful, kind, good, and has always been about our good, even when we were what? Sinners. Uh, and still are, but redeemed by the only one who can save us. He said, continually seek the kingdom. The Father's plan takes everything into account for us. He wastes nothing. So we come to Romans 8.28, this uh, scripture that has been used today, and I just want to emphasize one other aspect of it. And we know, we do, well, if we consider, <laughs> we will know. If we look carefully, if we meditate on who he is and how he has created everything, that's how we know. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And oftentimes we emphasize the all things and that's important. Not something, it's all things. But I want to emphasize the good part. For good. Not bad. Not evil. Not to our hurt. But rather for good. If we consider who he is, then we will know that whatever is going on, if we look to him as Donna said, if we worship him, if we turn it to worship and thanksgiving for what he's allowed in our lives, then it will work to good and to his glory.
and not something else. Now I'm going to back up. I told you I had back up. Romans 8, this whole chapter is about God's goodness and Jesus' redemption. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the mindset on the flesh, verse 6, is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So when things happen, we have a choice. We can set our minds on what's going on around us or inside of us, our flesh or others. Or we can set our minds on the spirit and find life and peace. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We have been secured. We have been made part of his forever family. We've been adopted. It's happened. And it is happening. And it will continue to happen if we consider who he really is at each juncture, each day, remember, he's just said, take it a day at a time, folks. Uh, right? That's what he was saying to the disciples. You can't do this thing uh, if you don't. Because you'll project. You know, if I do this, they'll do that. And if they do that, then they'll do that. And then if I do that, that no end to it. It's a nightmare. But if we just turn to him for the day, say, Lord, I believe you are today who you were yesterday when things were going so well. <laughs> and I think you're the, I believe you're the same tomorrow and forever. So we come down to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God works all things together for good. We are so dependent upon the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We don't know what we don't know. And we don't know really what we do know in this dimension. Without Him, we are hopelessly lost to know what to do 
and how to do it. So that's why we have to seek him and why we have to consider and trust the Holy Spirit even when things are really going bad. Saying this, this didn't take you by surprise, Lord. I hope. Uh, but to have the confidence in that, you know, that we did when things were going so well, when we were flying high and everyone thought we were great. Um, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense, already done. Now this isn't a catchphrase, this predestination thing, any more than nothing wasted is. That's not what Paul's intending. Uh, he's trying to, to set us to consider what God has already done. You know, you've heard of the Calvinist who fell down the stairs and said, stood up, dusted himself off, and said, "I'm glad that's over with." <laughs> you know, that's not what Paul's intending here. This is real life, and and we are involved in real life. So he can go on and say, "What shall we say?" to these things. And what are these things? They're bad things. He's talking about suffering. Uh, and he, in another place, outlined all the things he had suffered. And he said, I'm glad that death is working in me, that life might work in you. So what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see how he's, he's recalibrating their thinking, just like we my thinking was being recalibrated when Chris and Donna were sharing. I mean, and, uh, I thought I was tuned in. But uh, I, I needed some recalibration this morning, which helped me to at least say something intelligent, if not uh, meaningful, hopefully today. Um, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All these things, whatever it is, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, say that with me, I am convinced, I am convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a calibration. Uh, Nothing left out, everything included. The natural, the spiritual, the present, the future. Things to come, a height, depth, or any created thing. That's everything. 
except for him. But keep us from the love of God. If we're convinced of that, we can get through anything. And we can know deep that inside that nothing will be wasted. It's all redeemed. Redemption works backward and forward. Uh, it's established. It's settled. On the cross, it is finished. All of humanity has been set back into the possibility of a relationship with him. Because sin, not sins, they too, but sin itself, that inner waywardness and determination to go our own way instead of a relationship with him was radically defeated and the death that goes with it. And so even if we retreat back from that knowledge and that experience, redemption catches up with us I'm convicted of our sin, which is really taking our eyes off of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and look instead horizontally at what's going on in our lives, or who did this to me, or who did that to them, or my parents' failures, or, you know, all of that. Um, brings us back to that relationship with the Father. Redemption makes all things new again in us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that we get to experience this now in the Spirit. Uh, it changes everything. Amen. Bless you.